Well, I want to thank you, uh, Joey, and, uh, and your team. I'd ask that you would pray with me. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you for the uh, words of the songs that uh, we just sang. I thank you, Lord, that uh, what you've heard from our hearts to you. Uh, We do uh, want to know you more. We want to know more of Jesus and his life and his words and the presence of his spirit in our life and to be conscious and aware. When we awake in the morning that we're conscious of your presence and as we walk through our day that we're conscious of your presence and involvement in our lives and you'd grant us in the noise of our day the times of silence where we can hear you. Lord, I'm just grateful that uh, you, God, creator of the whole universe, uh, knows us by name, uh, knows the thoughts in our our minds and the intents in our hearts, that you know us intimately and you call us to yourself. Lord, I just want to thank you that uh, you're as gracious as you are to us. Uh, We don't deserve any of that, and uh, we're just grateful. But this morning, Lord, I just want to give you thanks for the fact that uh, you are present here with us. Now, I at times wish that uh, uh, you wore clothing and you were sitting here or standing here, Lord, beside us, that there would be no question. But we come to you in faith, uh, but uh, not a blind faith, because we see the evidence of your presence in us. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you'd make us conscious of what it is that you have to say to each one of us this morning. We welcome you, Lord. Uh, We offer our hearts and our lives to you. We want to be faithful to you. We want to learn from you, to grow in you. We want to serve you and to serve you well. And uh, so we come this morning and thank you in Jesus. Amen. We're in uh, Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to re- do three things this morning. Uh, three things we're going to cover, and if you have a note that's in your bulletin, uh, you can get the picture of where we're headed here. But this morning, there are three things we're considering. One, uh, a brief overview of the completed work of Christ in us. What has Christ already done in our behalf? doesn't require anything of us other than the faith and believe and receive and follow. The work has been accomplished by God. We want to look at that. What is the completed work? And then I want us to look at, in this chapter, the conflict that we all face in living this new life that we have in Christ. This new life in Christ is contrary to everything we've lived with prior to him, and it's contrary to the world system we live in. And that produces a conflict in us. And so how do we handle that conflict? How do we respond to that? And then the third thing looking at is what is our role, our cooperation in the ongoing renewal of our life in the likeness of Christ? That that all the work necessary for us to stand before God has been done by God in Christ. And then there's the ongoing living. And we don't look a whole lot like what God says we are. And that's a process of renewal that takes place in us, that God is at work in us, and we have a role in that. 
And those are the things I want to look at with you this morning. In verses uh, 1 and 2 of uh, Colossians chapter 3, it says, Therefore, if, and that word if is since, it's already happened. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So this is one of the completed things that has happened. God has already regards you as having been raised up with him in the heavenlies. We already have a position with him. That's not something we earn here. You can't be faithful enough for that in your flesh. (laughs) It's a gift of God, a position that has been granted to us. We've been raised up with Christ and he calls on us to keep seeking him above. And he calls on us to set our mind on the things above and not on the things on earth. And that's where part of the conflict happens. We've been raised up with Christ. He set us in a place in heavenly places here. And this is a very significant perspective for us as we live out our day. We can think like the world we live in, or we can think from God's perspective. Set your mind in God's perspective on the things above. Um, I made a list of some of the things that are obvious to me, at least, in this world think. What is the world I live in, in the world that influences me, in the world that I probably contribute to? (laughs) But among these things are, one, is that we seek to be secure. That's a high value in our system. We want to secure ourselves. Uh, We want to be secure in our safety, but we want to secure our financial means. We want to be secure. And in this, it puts us in a posture of wanting to be in control so we will be secure. Because we think if we're in control, we'll be secure. Somewhere in that, we have a false perception of our ability. But that's a world think. I'm going to sell security to you and you'll buy it because you want to be secure. I will offer you a government that puts you in control. And we buy it. You see, these things sell in this world because it's world think and world values. I want to be somebody. I need to be somebody. I can still hear in my college days uh, a man in the Chicago area who said that. I am somebody. I am somebody. And I said, well, yes, you are. You're a creation of God. You don't have to make a deal out of that. (laughs) But I just said that's uh, it's a passion. But when when we say that I want to be somebody is that I want recognition. I want honor. I want stature. I want, I want to be somebody. I want value in your eyes. That's part of our world system and our world think. And if I can't be somebody, I at least want to be better than you. See, we live in comparisons. Um, we live in a world that wants to achieve, that needs to achieve, is honored and recognized by our achievements. And some of us who have trouble achieving at least want to get by. 
you're tracking with me. The things, the value of the world that you grew up in, probably part of your life right now, and things that you struggle with at times. Another value is to accumulate. It doesn't matter what, it just matters that it's more. And probably the bottom line thing the world thinks it's ours is that to satisfy yourself, satisfy myself. I want my pleasures met. I want to be satisfied with who I am and what I'm doing and the things in life. Looking for satisfaction. And what I want to say is that this is a world system and I want you to know that none of these things will follow you past this life. If you're bound for heaven as a believer in Christ, none of these things are going to follow you with him to heaven. None of them. So why do we, why do we pursue, invest our life, all our resources, all our energy in this pursuit? Seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above. You're secure in Christ. He's in control and he's got your favor. He causes all things to work together for good. You can't be anybody more than a somebody than the the creator of this universe regards you as his inheritance. He's placed that value on you. And I can in Christ do anything. I'm not restricted and limited in life. I'm his. And I can follow him and live in him. And experience his work and presence in me and through me. And you can. And I'm guessing that a number of you have. Maybe all of you. There have been moments in your life when you sensed that God was present and did something in you. It's like a validation of, of your faith in a very tangible way. And your father has all the resources you will ever need for anything you need to do. And you won't be satisfied with anything in life apart from a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. You were created for that purpose, to know him, to be in communion with him, to to walk with him and live in him and represent him. I suppose we could go home now, but this isn't even my message. I just had those things on my heart all week, and I couldn't delete it, so it's here and you got it. But we tend to live our lives like Scripture reads this way. For me to live is gain, and then to die is Christ. But that's not how the Scripture reads. That's kind of a misprint. That's a whole misdirection. It's backward. The real verse is this. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. See the difference? Trying to bring the stark division between how we think about our life here today, this week. It's not about me and how I position myself, my security, my achievement, my gain, my being somebody, my doing something. I have today to live as a representative of Christ in the world because he says when I seek him first, he adds all the things I need to my life. And he does. 
in this life for me to live is to know Christ. And when I'm done here, my gain is an eternity with Him. See? That's the world thing. So think the things above. Think the things of Christ. In verses chapter three, or three, or in chapter three, verses three and four, it says, "For you have died, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory." I spoke of that last week, and I just said, "You know, what does it mean to be hidden?" And I said, "I, I use some words that to be hidden means that to covered. You know, like uh, don't let your." Let your light shine. Don't hide it under a bushel basket. It's covered. You know, so it, it's, I'm hidden, covered. Um, thought in terms of I'm immersed. I'm underwater. Uh, in the baptism, I'm immersed in Christ, uh, uh, in his death. I'm hidden in him. And I thought of another word this last week, and that is secure. Something that's really valuable to me and important, I may stash it away where no one else can go and get it. And I like that perspective on the word hidden. I am hidden in Christ. I'm secure in him. And I'm awaiting a day when we will be revealed. And a new word for me in that is appear. I'm secure in him. I'm covered in him. But there's a day when I'm going to appear with him, be revealed with him as his child. Verses, uh, first verse, four verses here says that you died. It's a done deal. You were raised with Christ. This is all from God's perspective. It's a finished work. And you were hidden in Christ. All work completed by God in us. And we found more of the completed work in chapters uh, 1 and 2. I'm not going to review those again for you today, but go back and read those chapters. You can say, uh, what is it that is the passive uh, uh, verb tense, that there are things that have been done to us or for us or in our behalf? And uh, chapters 1 and 2 are full of those kind of things. Qualified us, rescued us from the domain of darkness, reconciled us, completed us in Christ, were forgiven. And uh, we are regarded as dead into this life, into this system, world system, we regard as dead to it for a purpose. And Paul expresses that in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him, that's Christ, through baptism, into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. The newness of life that God offers to us in Christ comes as the old man dies and the new man is allowed to live. Your identity with Christ's death and his resurrection gives you this new life. You've been around a while. You become more aware of the things in your life that are inconsistent with the things that you know God wants of you. doesn't take too long to live to recognize those differences. When you first come to Christ, there is an excitement of the fact that I'm okay with him. He receives me as I am. I come and confess. I don't have any grounds to stand before you, but I believe that you extended your love to me and Jesus on the cross and that when he died, he took any judgment that could come upon me upon himself. 
He bore that sin, that judgment, on, in his own body on the cross for you and me. But I now stand forgiven, acquitted before God. Welcome. Have the right to be called his child. Gifted it, made me a part of his physical, tangible body on earth today, the church. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's a done deal. You and I have a new life. God has declared that through faith in his son, Jesus. If that's not where you're at today, just know that a recognition of your own inadequacy in coming before God because you don't have what it takes to come into his holy presence. You know your own heart. You know what it is to stand before a holy God. And you know if you have any right to be there. And there any one of us that can stand there. But if you recognize that in your life, believe that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to take upon you and himself all of that judgment that could come against us. He only asked that we believe. Faith is a strange thing. This is free, too. I, I, that's why I keep running over. I get all these freebies here. I guess maybe I should stop doing that. I've got to give you this one anyway. That, um, God is... Uh, God welcomes us into his presence by his grace and his mercy and his love. And he declares this as whole and complete. And now he grants us the privilege of growing into that role that he he declared about us in this life. When I come in faith, it's some of the most difficult thing for me to do. I came a skeptic in life. I came a cynic in life. I don't know what shaped and formed that in me, but that's just true. I remember in my college days as a philosophy major uh, coining a quote of Scripture, my screwing up scripture, uh, Scripture. Faith is the substance by which people fool themselves, and the evidence are those who believe. Because I saw faith as an act of reaching out and embracing superstition and not reality. Reality are the things that I can, I can touch, feel, see, experience. And then I stumbled on that passage in John where Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. And he says, Nick, you need to be born again. And Nick came back and said, uh, how do I enter my mother's womb a second time and be born? Yeah, how do you do that? All he was thinking of is in a physical sense. He said, you need to be born of the Spirit. He said, in all your wisdom, 
Nick. He did, it's a paraphrase on my part. He said, do you see the wind? Well, of course I can't see the wind. It's air. It's not visible. You can't see it. But you can see the effects of it, right? You see the breeze, the leaves, the branches. You, see, you, can, you can see that. And Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. And he said, so it is with the Spirit of God. There's tangible evidence, but though you can't see his presence, you see his work and change and, and, and his involvement in a situation, in a person's life. You see evidence of his presence. Um, <clears throat> I think the generation living around you, for the most part, places no value in history. But... If you could only find just an, an edge of respect for what has gone before you, you would see the evidence of God throughout all of history. I like the English, English language, the word history, his story. Faith opens the door to you. I can read this book as an unbeliever and I don't get it. It is so complicated, and it's, I mean, good grief, it's written over a couple thousand years. I don't, I don't, whatever it is, I, just, I, I can't embrace all that. I just can't do that. Because I'm not coming in faith. I'm not looking. But when I come in faith and believe that God had something to say, I want to see what he may have had to say. And I look at it through God's eyes, and I'm looking for God as I read this book. But I look with eyes of faith. It comes alive to me. And so does our relationship with God when we come to him in faith and say, God, I can't see you. I don't get it. I just don't like what's going on in my own life. I like what you've promised and what you've said. You've offered a relationship with you, and I want that. I want to know your forgiveness. I want to know that I have a relationship with you. That's yours to have. Acknowledge that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross on your behalf. Just acknowledge that to him. I believe that, Lord. I need your forgiveness in my life. There's a humility that comes with that. A lot of us have come to faith in Christ without the humility, and we miss something. We just added Christ to our life, and that didn't do anything for you. But I come in the humility and the recognition that I deeply need you, Lord, and I want you. And he receives us. Says so. So, that's the freebie. Call on you to believe in him, just to trust him. You can do it sitting there. You can tune me out and just talk to God the rest of the morning. Come to him. Just acknowledge. Though you believe something, there still remains the living out of what you profess. And I'm guessing this provides a daily challenge to all of us. Our conflict is in living what we believe here on earth. Because it's contrary. Paul expressed the conflict in his own personal life in Romans chapter 7. And verse 15 it says, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Ever experienced that? Why am I doing this? I know the consequences of this, but I keep doing it. Drugs happens that way comes out of interest, experimentation, curiosity, 
before long it's got you in its grip. It's a deceiver. Alcohol does the same thing. It's a deceiver. Lying does the same thing. I tell one lie, I have to tell another to cover the first one. Before long, your whole life's a lie. I don't do what I really want to do. I just do the things that I really hate. It's a struggle in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I thought, Paul, that's not a very clear answer. Uh, who's going to save me from this? Thank God, Jesus Christ. Well, how? What? I, you know, I have to ask those questions, but you have to keep reading, too. If you read past chapter 7 into chapter four, uh, 8, uh, there of Romans, you find the first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment from God against you. You're in Christ. And then he goes on to say the distinction between that which is living in the flesh and that which is living in the spirit. And in Christ, we live in the spirit. We have all the resources of God present in us to live in a way that's pleasing and honoring him. In chapter 8, verse 5, it says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You could translate that to world if that helps you. Those who are according to this world set their minds on the things of this world, the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, they've set their minds on the things above. For the mindset on the flesh is death. It's a dead end road. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, the satisfaction you, you seek in life. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die, will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's a conflict between that which is flesh and that which is alive in us in the Spirit as we live life here. And he says to live victoriously in this life, to live well in this life, to live at peace, we have to put to death this world system in us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, For you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were dead in our sins. And there's a spiritual influence here, and that which is Satan. is now working in the sons of disobedience. Those who disobey God, he works and feeds. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Expressed a little differently to the Galatians, but similar. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. (laughs) That's this world system. They don't belong in the life of one who follows Christ. But they're bent in our flesh. They're our default system. 
And he says, put the default system to death. Live for Christ. Choose to do what he asks you to do and to be. And he gives you the power by his spirit to do that. But the fruit of the spirit. Now, these are the deeds of the flesh we just read. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those aren't characteristics you add to your life. Your life in Christ will produce this kind of fruit because of the relationship you have with Christ, not because of what you add to your life. We have a lemon tree in the backyard. I can tie apples to it, but it's still not an apple tree. See, it produces the fruit of what it is. It continues there in Galatians 5 and verse 24. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, put it to death with its passions and its desires. And that's a choice we make. Paul gave the testimony of this. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You want to walk away this morning with a verse, memorize that one and carry it with you for the rest of your life. That's possible for you and for me. A dead man has nothing to protect Nothing to promote and is unresponsive to sin. It's not the exact quote, but I remember a friend of mine who worked in a mortuary. It almost sounds disrespectful to you at this point, but I need to tell you this story. He helped prepare bodies for a funeral. That body was unresponsive. Had nothing to promote. Nothing to protect. And when you and I can come to the place where I say, Lord, my life is not my own, it's yours. I die, you live. I have nothing to promote. I have nothing to protect. And I have a bent to choose the things God wants and not the things that satisfy me and my flesh. I'm a whole lot less responsive. Now, I also have to tell you in preparing this message... I had to travel through a lot of muck in my life that I just wasn't conscious of. Oh, conscious of, but not conscious of. Can I live in Christ? Can what comes out of my mouth and out of my mind, out of my life, out of my actions, things that honor Him, and not an expression of my flesh? Back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Greed and idolatry. Idolatry is anything that takes the place of God. And if, if accumulation and wanting more in this is more important to you than God, that's idolatry. That's the point. But most of the things in that list are, tend to be sensual in their and tend to be internal in the drive. 
There's a picture that's been helpful to me in the past, and that is uh, in our living room, uh, we have a fireplace. And uh, uh, there was a time in our life when that was a comfort to us. We liked the fire and put wood in it and stuff. It's got gas in it now. Can't find wood or smokes the house out or I don't know why we don't. But whatever. The fire is pretty. It's really, it's really beautiful there. It's a comfort. It's an, enjoy sitting there and turn the lights out and just watch the fire in the fireplace. Now, if it was the drapes in the living room that was on fire, that would not be a pretty scene. And, and that picture is helpful to me to understand there are things that are attractive to me that could be very destructive in my life or very comforting in my life. And it all depends on the context Sensual desire belongs in a marriage relationship, not outside of it. Choose the things that are healthy. Ask the question. Um, we tend to do what we think, um, and we tend to think what we feed our mind. So what are you feeding your mind? What do you allow your eyes to see and watch? What do you read? What do you take in? What's the media that's a part of your life? Because all of that influences you. I like the statement, just say no. Paul's encouragement to Timothy was to flee youthful lust. Be an example of the believer. And I want to tell you that anybody in your age here, it's okay to be weird in the generation you live in. (laughs) Because this generation too will pass. Don't make it your idol. Choose what is good, healthy, profitable, loving, serving. There's a price to pay if you don't rein in the passions. In verse 6, For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. There's an accountability before God. As an unbeliever, as a believer. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. You got two lists here, one that's primarily internal drives and this list, which are primarily external behaviors, things that affect other people. All these things died with Christ on the cross. And now there's a need for a renewal in your heart and life. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Romans 8, For those who he foreknew, God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. My paraphrase is this. In the beginning, God knew who was going to come to him, and he determined then that they were going to look like Jesus. That's a commitment God has made to you as a believer in Christ. And he will accomplish that in one of two ways, through your willing obedience to him 
or through the nasty consequences of your disobedience. But one way or another, he's going to accomplish his end because you're, yours, you're his for eternity. And I appreciate Paul's testimony in Philippians 1, where I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. He's going to complete. Don't give up. I don't know how many times they have to fall before you run. I love some of the ads in the Olympics, you know, where they picture the baby learning how to walk and someone else going through struggles in their life and they walk off with a gold medal. I mean, just keep at it. I like one ad that was there that life is full of doubt, but those who believe succeed. You know, it's almost scriptural. Not the context, but the truth of that is. To the Romans in 12, he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Back to Colossians in verse 9. Since you laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You've laid aside the old self. You are laying aside now as well. And you're being renewed to the image of the one who created you. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. I would make that statement uh, just simply a description of what the verse 11 that's on the screen here right now for you is that in Christ, uh, he doesn't make these kind of distinctions. Everybody answers to him. Greek or Jew was a big deal in their day. You're a Gentile. You're a Jew or you're not. If you're not, you're a Gentile. Circumcised or you're not circumcised. Barbarian or Scythian. Barbarian were the, um, the scrunch of the earth. The Scythian were the cruel, brutal. Uh, I don't know how in God's mind he put together choosing Saul who killed those who believed in his son, Jesus, called him, knocked him off his horse in a bright light, and said, you, Saul, are going to come after me. (laughs) Why would God choose a killer to be his apostle in the church? But God turned his heart. There's something about Saul, something in his heart, in his life, something in the mind of God. The worst of those that a believer would fear the most became the one who was the advocate of Christ and the teacher and leader of the church. In God's mind, Christ is all and in all. Be careful how how you make distinctions with people. I don't want to hang around them. They hurt my reputation. Let your reputation die. Let the love of Christ shine through your life. Put on Christ in his ways and cooperate with him in the work he's done. Verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All those things look like the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) 
Walk in Christ and these things will be fruit in your life. As chosen of God, put on that heart. Allow these things to be the choices of response to situations. Bearing with one another. Put up with each other. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Make the choice to bear the offense as Christ bore your offense to him on the cross. That's forgiving. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I want to thank you um, for hanging with me this morning. It's a pretty simple truth. We're born into a world that's corrupt. We're corrupt in our hearts and lives. But you're God's creation and he loves you. He pursued you with everything that he is and offered his son Jesus as a proof of that. And his son took everything that could come against us upon himself on the cross. Offered to us a new life and the resources to live it. There's a renewal that comes, but it comes with a uh, cooperation on our part of being obedient to him, responsive to him, making the choices of our life that are his, not ours. Let the old system and the old values die. Live in the new system. It's really quite beautiful. And he said to do that for yourself individually, but he said to do that for the sake of the body, the church. Because you together are my physical representation on earth. Don't ever lose track of that. I don't make a choice alone. There's a sense in which I represent all of you by how I live my life. I just need to be conscious of that. But more so be conscious of the fact I live my life before heaven. And I need to set my mind on those things. Father, thank you for this morning. Do your good work in our hearts and lives, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be responsive to you, open to you. We come wanting you, Lord. And we welcome you. Look forward to what's going to happen this week in us, Lord, that we see that tangible evidence of your presence and your good work. We thank you in Jesus. Amen.